Welcome to 26.1 AI Podcast. Today, we welcome one of the founders of Just One Giant Lab, Leo Blondell. Just One Giant Lab is the first research and innovation laboratory operating as a distributed, open, and massive mobilization platform for collaborative task solving. And that's from their website at jogl.io. Welcome, Leo. Hi, welcome, Brian. Welcome, Don. Thank you for having me on the podcast. So excited to have you here. Yeah, where are you located today? And uh, how'd you get there? Uh, I'm I'm in France, and uh, I, I got there because I'm French. I'm I'm in the south of France right now, where it's uh, nice, sunny, and Lovely. beautiful. Yeah. Um, Bro- yeah. Brian, you love Boulevards, right? I, I love the south of France. Like it's one of my favorite places in the world. So, and what led you to uh, first about you, uh, and then second about Joggle? Mm-hmm. But how did you get in your progression of life to Joggle, and what is Joggle? Yeah, sure. Okay. Well, uh, so quick life story for me. So I've I've always been uh, fascinated by uh, technology and science. Um, my dad had, um, you know, is, has been a tech entrepreneur for forever, um, and so I didn't want to become a tech entrepreneur because I didn't want to become like him. Uh, so I went to science instead, and then I, you know, continued the route in academia uh, all the way to uh, doing my PhD at Harvard in computational biology. Um, but then, uh, that's when I sort of, uh, realized that, uh, I wanted to change things and how the world was, and I wanted to build things. So I eventually became a tech entrepreneur trying to make just one giant lab. So the cycle sort of closed that way. Um, why I became to want to, you know, create just one giant lab is a little bit of a a personal story, but I, I have a uh, I've been an activist in many many domains for ever, um, and uh, in in academia I, I was confronted with with the fact that uh, science is made in a sort of an ivory tower where there are big institutions like Harvard or um, you know Stanford or the ENS or m- many other big institutions in the world like this which hold most of the money and most of the knowledge, and that this is published in uh, peer-reviewed but non-open or accessible journals. And so science was basically created by this small circle of people in the world, and that it was not very open. Um, and I believe in inclusivity and transparency and openness, and I believe science would actually benefit from this. Um, in my life, I've seen so many examples of young high schoolers uh, doing amazing science projects that would you know, later change the world as we know it. And that, that happened across history, and, and it's still happening today. And if you want to convince yourself, just go on, on TED. There's, there's so many TED Talks like this. So you know, I, I kind of wanted to change uh, how this uh, situation was. And that's when, um, like, I, I knew Mark Santolini for, for a long time. We've been friends for a long time. And then, uh, you know, we, we met with Thomas, uh, which is the third co-founder. And the three of us sort of had the same idea at the same time and the energy to just try to start it and do it. And that's why we created Just One Giant Lab. Um, so Drogol is this uh, interesting object where we're trying to take the beauty of what a laboratory in academia is, which is a place where you can collaborate, you can talk to people, it's easy, you can reach out to others to help you achieve the science experiment you're trying to do right now, Uh, but to do this in a decentralized and open manner, 
right? So we want to break that wall and we want to open it to everybody in the world, whether you're a high schooler or a retiree or a researcher in academia right now, um, you know, like we want everybody to be able to collaborate on those things. Um, and so we're trying to build technologies around that because we believe technologies can empower people to do those sort of things. Um, and so in that sense, that's why, you know, uh, I've focused a lot of my time and effort over the last years trying to build um, this open source uh, software, web software called Just One Giant Lab that uh, is now being super successful online with many, many, uh, you know, many thousands of people coming and collaborating on it right now. Um, since Joggle is about collaboration, let's take it to the root and um, talk about the interaction between you and Tomas and Mark, the founders collaborating. H mm -hmm. How do you work together? Um, so we, we have this like 30 minute an hour uh, meeting every day. Uh, where you know we it's it's very important to synchronize all of this information. So we 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 like talk every day for an hour, and then we all go in our own different sort of bubble of people we work with. We do the work there. We, we like highly specialize bees, you know, doing uh, like I do the tech. Mark does a lot of the science of the communities, and Thomas does a lot of the organizing and coordination of the people. Um, and, you know, like it's like the three of us have like very strong skills in those domains. And so instead of walking over each other, we just like, you know, agreed to just like synchronize and discuss as much as possible, trying to uh, give all the information we can to each other so we can all collectively make decisions and then go and actually be productive in our own bubble uh, without disturbing each other. Uh, I guess. Yeah, that's that's how we <laughs> we collaborate on a day-to-day -day basis. Well, um, moving to how people collaborate on your platform, you've got a COVID-19 project going. Maybe describe that as kind of a case study. Sure. Uh, so in uh, earlier this year, well, everybody probably is aware of this COVID-19 crisis that started. And so one of the very first thing that was needed was that there was a shortage of masks, right? So, uh, uh, basically, on Jogol, there was a project that was started uh, by uh, by Toma and, and and friends of him to try to make open source and open design for masks, and this just exploded. Where hundreds of people started to gather around it, and very quickly we're like, "Wow, Jogol is cool. Actually, we could do other projects around you know like COVID nineteen here." And so from this uh, appeared a, a bubble, which we called Open COVID nineteen, which we made into a program where we then recruited people to actually help coordinate the community. Um, and so to do that, uh, you know, people can come on Joggle and they can create a project. On that project, they can fill out needs. Uh, and all of this is searchable throughout the platform. And so so that, you know, if you have a particular set of skills, uh, you'll, you'll be able to like look for needs that you could do, right, with your skills. Um, and so that's for the sort of organization part. And in order to organize the community a bit better, we are using external tool, especially now we're using Slack uh, because we don't have uh, the, the technology in-house at the moment to have this sort of high-level communication happening within Joggle itself. Um, so Slack allows us to coordinate the community at, you know, like thousands of people using well-crafted channels and coordinations with humans. So for now, we're, we're there, but we are learning from this experience 
to try to apply what we know and what we're doing on Slack onto Joggle itself. And that's going to be the next step sort of for 2021. We're hoping to be there and not have to use external tools like Slack. So when you uh, are creating these tools in this community around these tools, solving these problems, uh, how does the grander ecosystem of collaborative, you know, benefiting science, if you will, also just open source and GitHub and that revolution, how does that feed into this or is this different from those other efforts? Oh, no, it's 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 not different. I mean, GitHub is, uh, and I guess to me, the open source community, because I've, I've been involved in it since ever, um, is is very much an inspiration, right? The entire code base of Jogol is open source, and we're working every day to make it easier for people to read the code and be able to participate on it, right? Uh, so, so, you know, it's heavily inspired from the um, philosophies of open source collaboration uh, and before us open science collaboration with journals like uh, like PLOS and PNAS, for example, trying to bring, uh, you know, science openly. Uh, I'm also a huge fan of Sci-Hub, for example, which really tried to open up, yeah. uh, you know, journals, uh, like access to journals to everybody. Like I personally have friends who are in Iraq right now, researchers there. And, you know, like they ask me for papers from time to time because their institutions can't afford to pay the millions and millions and millions of dollars Elsweiser is asking. Um, so, you know, yes, we're we're building on the shoulders of giants, right? Like the techniques we're using, the code base we're using, the technologies we're using are open. They're built by other people before us where we're just one more stone on this ginormous wall that we're trying to build together as humanity, which is, you know, like a better world for everybody, I guess. Yeah. You, know, Don, you know what it reminds me of? Uh, Aaron Schwartz and that story there. Someone well, I mentored. Well, yeah, in- I, I was going to ask you if you think Aaron Schwartz, who I don't think smiled a lot, would be smiling right now. Right. <laughs> Since, Brian, you know him pretty, you knew him very well. I, 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 well, I knew, as a child, I knew him. But uh, when, he, when he, so the, it brings up the question is for Leo, where is where are your challenges? I mean, are you ever challenged with you know accessibility to some of the data, or you know, where where is the what's your biggest challenge right now with uh, Joggle? To be fair, the biggest challenge we are facing um, is uh, I think right now is the speed at which we're growing, and so we need to scale very rapidly. Uh, but we, so we, for, for information, we went from a team of like, you know, like the three co-founder plus two people in uh, February before open COVID-19. And then with the whole open COVID-19 crisis, we, we went where we're in all 15 in Tadjogo, which is huge. <laughs> and so we went from like four to 15 and then we need to keep scaling up. So wh- one of the big issues we have right now is like to redo all of the processes internally and, and reinvent how we are doing things together. Uh, to 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 do it better. That that's one of the main main challenges. But other challenges that that we're facing is um, we we want to be able to convince uh, academia, right? We want to be able to convince researchers that what we're bringing is valid and it's as valid as the scientific process in those institutions that are already well established. And that will take years, right? Like I believe we will, but it will take years, and it will take many many successful project and successful cases for academia to consider us a serious research laboratory 
in the world, right? And so for that, it's going to take time and it's going to take developing very smart internal technologies. How do we review a publication, right? What's reviewing at the Jogo level? Because we don't have the peer review system of journals because we don't want to. We want to invent better systems, right? And so we're talking with many researchers trying to reinvent this right now. And we're trying to build better intelligent systems for collaborative reviewing at multi-scale of paper, right? Like what if we change the paper level, go to a micro publication where it's just like this one figure or this one experiment. Can you review just that thing? Because you're an expert in that, but someone else is an expert in something else. So we can review another part of the paper, right? So how do we make the review process stronger, better, and easier to do uh, in a decentralized manner? This is a big challenge that we're facing as well, right? So there are many, many challenges to be honest, but so far, we've just been tackling them one at a time and just, you know, that's the that's the thing with complexity, right? Like when you're faced with a complex problem, you can either just stop and say like, it's too complex, I can't do it. Or you can just say, okay, well, let's take tiny bits at a time and build them and, you know, connect them with each other so that eventually you have a beautiful complex system that works. In... The way that you're proposing for folks to collaborate, do you where do you prioritize addressing bias in AI models? Where is that mm. for you as a founder? Yeah. Um, so, okay. So one of the big thing that we're trying to avoid is bias and bubble effect. And, you know, like many of the problems that exist with AI today, which is that algorithms are made by some people uh, who have some good idea, right? But then, you know, they're not trying them too hard or they're uh, not considering that the bias is a problem because as long as you're clicking and the ad revenue is increased, well, that's great, you know, you're winning. Uh, we don't want to do this. So we're using uh, newer types of recommender system called, uh, which are based on the heterogeneous information network. And we're uh, collaborating with a researcher, uh, Pedro Ramasciotti, which is basically an expert in that domain who is currently building uh, a new form of recommender system that is uh, much better at avoiding biases and avoiding bubble effects, right? Um, and so so with this help, the, the whole internal artificial intelligence system of Jogo uh, should avoid biases as much as possible. It's never possible to completely avoid biases but we will always try to, and we are uh, at the same time as we're building the AI, we also have a team of researcher uh, led by Mark mostly who is um, looking at the information of what's happening, right? So like the effect of the AI on the uh, behavior of users is analyzed so that we can see whether or not we're creating bubbles or avoiding bubbles. How do we how do we go across the bubbles? And so those sort of things, we're measuring them and we're going to keep measuring them uh, in the future to avoid as much as possible uh, bias in, in, in our AI system. So can you define for some of our listeners bubbles? What do you mean when you're saying that? Oh, so what I mean by bubbles is, um, so if you... Um, if you if you ask an AI to learn about many users and their behaviors, um, the, the 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 AI if if you don't introduce any any counterparameter, the AI will just you know try to predict um, what you would mostly like. 
And then you're going to click on those things, right? And the AI will then learn, okay, well, I, I predicted this and this person clicked on it. Therefore, I'm going to learn to more strongly recommend this to that person, right? And this feedback loop effect will, like, is, is one of the ways that it could happen. But this feedback loop effect will eventually lead to uh, the AI only showing you what you click on. And what you click on is often what you like, right? Or, um, or at least what, what sort of interests you. And in that way, you're you're starting to be trapped in in a very small um, universe of of possibilities that the AI will recommend to you, right? Because they will all score higher than anything else. Uh, and at that point, you become you become like if you were in a bubble. And that's kind of what people refer to as the bubble effect. Is is when, however uh, hard you try and whatever you do. You will, you know, only see like the AI will only like recommend you the exact same type of video. A very good example for of this is if you go on YouTube, and I'm pretty sure all of your listeners have a YouTube account. If they go on YouTube, just look at the recommended video and just try to look at it from a different eye. Right, the next time you go, just look at them and try to categorize them into different types of category: science video political videos, animal documentaries, you know, whatever it is, right? And just try to look at which one pop up on your screen in the recommended page on the home, right? And look at the diversity there. And you'll see that there's not that much diversity. YouTube is always going to recommend you the same sort of videos, you know, across. Actually, if you even do this better, you'll even realize that it does it at different time of the day differently. So if you watch documentaries at night, it'll give you the night bubble documentary, right? And so that's a bubble. And you'll be trapped in that. Um, I don't know if that helped, uh, Brian, to explain what the bubble effect is. But, uh, yeah. No, absolutely. Great. To, yeah, thank you well, very much. I mean, Leo, I, I feel like you just described Time Magazine's cover about American society right now. <laughs> well, there's truth to that, right? I mean, there really is. There's truth to that self-defining uh, populations of how media is uh, delivered and whatnot. I mean, I believe mm -hmm. that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and I'd love to ask this question. So in you using AI, you're a promoter of it, you understand it very deeply, I can tell. But what is the precautionary tale with AI today? Uh, what, what should the, our audience, which is both business and data scientists, what mm. should, are there any fears that you have of, of anything regarding AI? I have many fears. Um, <laughs> I have many fears because AI is a tool, right? And, and such as the hammer that you can use to nail something, you can also use to kill, right? And um, AI has the potential for good and bad and evil. And the problem with AI is that it's not regulated, right? Uh, we, we have laws. If you use a hammer to kill someone, you we arrest you. You go to jail, right? Um if you do evil with AI at the moment, no one's going to arrest you. No one's going to do anything to you, right? At worst, you might lose some profit for your company, uh, which, you know, like might be damageable to the 0.1% richest on this planet, but it's it's not that much, you know. Uh, that's one of the main issues, like actual ethics and philosophy and of regulating AI. Um, like this is something that I think is missing and, and that people should seriously consider that we need to implement yesterday so that the systems we put in place, you know, would be regulated uh, so that they avoid 
critical effects, right? And like we see it with, I mean, you know, the election of the current president of the United States that according to some is based on very good AI by Cambridge Analytica, right? Um, that's one example of how this whole thing can go all right. Leo, mm-hmm. Brian and I, we're in an American bubble. You brought <laughs> up regulation. Do you have a view in terms of where that starts? Do you see Europe leading that as opposed to the United States? Uh, Europe is in this sort of very interesting zone, right? Because it's um, in a way a lot more democratic than the U.S., and um, in another way, a lot more bureaucratic than the U.S. <laughs> and so it, there's always this sort of battle where, where um, I, I don't know if any of you followed the, the GDPR regulation, which a lot of you know a lot of people are talking, which is the privacy laws on on the internet for European uh, citizens, uh, which is a great start, to be fair. Um, and 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 it started even better where. You know, a lot of activists had worked and proposed a text that was really, really good and really well done. But then eventually, once it passed the parliament, it, it got sort of watered down a lot uh, in order to make it more um, doable, like make it more achievable at a bureaucratic level of how to follow up, how to check if the, G- the, or the GDPR was actually applied and things like this. So, so in that sense, uh, you know, Europe is trying to lead because the US, for example, has no such thing uh, as GDPR and, and GDPR is a great step forward. Uh, it's not enough. Uh, there is a lot of discussion in Europe about AI and data privacy and, and use of the data by, um, you know, what we call um, the GAFAM, uh, Google, uh, Apple, Facebook, uh, Amazon and Microsoft, um, like, you know, the, the big the big player, the big giants. And so a, a lot of people are, are definitely discussing uh, how do we uh, make AI uh, safer for everybody. I hope Europe will take a lead in this. Uh, we, we, we have historically uh, been good at uh, asking deep ethical and philosophical questions about technology. We're really bad at implementing them and making the technology. We're really good at thinking. Uh, America is really good at doing. Uh, <laughs> I think that's one of the big difference. Uh, I, I I don't know. I hope America will actually follow suit also. Um, but the problem with America is that you have such a strong military industrial complex with the NSA being very, very powerful, uh, uh, you know, in, in the balance and lobbying of, you know, like the GAFAM at Congress as well is also super strong. So until America has a bit more democracy uh, in terms of how laws are decided, I doubt it will be a leader in that. Wow, it just sounds like uh, you would have a great conversation with Brian and my uh, friend Peter Wong, the CEO of Anaconda. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. He's been on our show before, too. And yeah, he, yeah, I think we would have a wonderful, we should have that conversation, in fact. Uh, and I want to, but. Uh, we're, we're heading close to our 26.1 minutes that at least in America, that's the average commute time. So that's our, that's our <laughs> time to stop so people can listen, get out of, our, get out of their car, which people are not doing right now, ironically, yes. uh, and go to work. But uh, any closing statements, any way to, do you want to leave the listeners with a way to find you or, uh, you know, sure. Or um, I mean, I would love for the listeners, actually, what I would love is for everybody who will listen to this to go on Jogol, J-O-G-L, uh, dot I-O, um, or just type in just one giant lab on Google, it'll be easier. 
um and uh and to just go and navigate and and just like see the website and and if what i said today you're not seeing anything of what i try to communicate today please send us an email and tell us like hey you know i think you could improve by doing this and you could probably correct this bug here that i just discovered or uh actually come and participate on projects if you have the time and skills uh please come help we have beautiful project ranging from teaching in Africa uh, or across the world with lecturer without borders uh, to, you know, making open source masks, res respirators. We have projects that are doing um, COVID-19 test kits, open source, uh, soon to be distributed for virtually free and at par with the best available commercial ones. At least that's what their data is showing right now is that they're they're getting at least as good result as any commercial ones. And they're doing this open source for free. Amazing. Uh, so, you know, come, uh, just participate, collaborate, tell us what's better, what, what could be made better. We would love to hear that because this is a community project, right? We are open, we're transparent. We, we want to be with the community and exist with the community so that this whole thing exists of its own and survives if I die tomorrow. That's the idea. Fantastic. Thank you so much for being on our show. It was loved listening to you. It was great. <laughs> it was really, really cool talking to you too. Thank you very much. Wonderful. Yeah.